Welcome to episode 53 of the Wedding Wisdom Podcast with Doug Winters. I am your host, Doug Winters. My guest today is Sylvia Weinstock, a woman who has lived so full and rich a life that I would not even begin to try and encapsulate it in a two-minute introduction. I'd like to give a very warm and gracious thank you to my new friend, Norma Cohn, who was incredibly gracious in introducing me to Sylvia. Only moments after we turned up the microphones on her podcast episode, which was episode 52, the very last one we did. So without further ado, here is my conversation with the astonishing Sylvia Weinstock. Would you like to talk about the cakes that you make and what, what really is the Sylvia Weinstock brand? Well, first of all, I think, number one, uh, the cake is food. And you have to think in terms of what am I putting into my body. So I use the best of butter, the best heavy cream, fresh fruit, and nothing's coming out of a can, nothing is in a mix. It's all pure. We melted our butter, we whipped our cream, we made our own mousses, our own fillings, so that everything was customized for the client. Then the design is another element that that we worked on, and we worked with the bride or her decor advisor or her florist in terms of what she wanted it to look like. Did she want it to blend into the event, or did she want to stand out and have it completely different? For instance, an all-white wedding, she wanted a red flower cake. So it stood out uniquely, not blended into the decor. Mm. And with some brides, you copy the lace on their gown, and you take that pattern and put it on the surface of a buttercream cake. Oh, wow. So that it became highly personalized. And then, of course, aside from weddings, you got to do birthdays, you got to do baby cakes, you got to do retirement cakes, so that once the client came to you, that was your client. And every celebration that they had, they would invite us to join in with. So our designs went to baby cakes and first birthday cakes and the bar mitzvahs, 15th cuisinera, the graduation from high school, the graduation from college. For every anniversary, every, every time you occasion. can celebrate, yeah, we exactly. were called in. I love what you said, that cake is food. Well, the cake is food, and most people just look at something. They might as well look at styrofoam because I'm not going to eat it. And I don't like fondant, which is a inexpensive covering that people put on a cake because they can't give you a smooth, beautiful buttercream icing. Oh, so fondant is like... is a no-no to me. Really? What, what a, actually is it? It's a, it's made of sugar and gelatins and materials that will hold it together, so that. Oh, okay. So, so it, it is like styrofoam. It, it com- comes out of a pail, and you roll it out, and you put it on top of a cake. The danger with that is if you're filling a cake with whipped cream and fresh strawberries, right. you can't really refrigerate it because fondant is pure sugar, and it will melt in the refrigerator. Oh, wow. So you don't want that mess. So therefore, your cake could be three, four, five, six days old. doesn't matter because you're probably not going to eat it. But my cakes, you would eat. It's part of your event. It's not an afterthought. So the whole cake is edible? The whole cake is edible. You know, it's funny. I always thought maybe one or two layers was edible and the rest was styrofoam, but, you know, 
That's decoration. Cheating. That's cheating. I, I don't wear <laughs> fake, fake diamonds. I don't have diamonds, but if I were, they would be real. I believe in the real thing. We could use styrofoam in between the layers to poke the flowers to give it a full look. Oh. But that's not what you're eating. You're right. eating cake. And if it's 200 people, you're going to have a five or six tier cake with plenty to eat. But people go back for seconds, so sometimes they run out of cake. No <laughs> kidding, really? Which is really wonderful. Yes. That's a great compliment. People, yes, people will say they go back for seconds. It's wonderful. It's a great compliment. And it, it is... It should follow the pattern of the meal. When you're eating your dinner, the cake, the dessert, is part of the dinner. It's not an afterthought. And people tend to feel that once you start cutting the wedding cake, it's time to go home. Right. That's not true. Exactly. Exactly. It should be part of the dinner, and it should be served as part of the dinner. That is a great <clears throat> philosophy. I love that. Well, it I is. It's, yeah. it's your food. It's the sweetness at the end of the meal. Everybody could deny it, but everybody's favorite part of dinner is dessert. <laughs> well, I, for some people, that wonderful statement, like, life is short, start with dessert. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, but in general, all the events that happen in a person's lifetime, mm -hmm. the, or the joyous things that yeah. we feel very happy to be part of. And I think what's happened is... The economy has changed to some degree where people are having more intimate, smaller events hmm. and not spending as much money, which is good and bad in a way because when you have a very big, fancy event, there are a lot of people that go home with a paycheck. The florist, if you start to think about yeah. it. Oh, sure. Well, the fish farmer. He, the bones go into fertilizer. The fertilizer grows the food and the flowers. And then it's trucked down and it's sold to the florist who arranges them on the table. There's so many hands that touch the process that you realize it's a whole economy. Think about all the elements that go into celebrations. New clothes, music, photography. You're renting a place the waiters go home with a, a paycheck. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, just look staff. at the whole thing. It's a trickle-down economy. So all these wonderful parties and events are not for, for naught. They serve a good purpose. Right. They help us. And they help us celebrate the good things in life. I'll buy that. Yeah, I would too. I don't think anyone should go into debt for a party. You should do what you can afford comfortably. And I just don't see the mortgage on the house going into the wedding gown and the party. You know, you wish a young couple the greatest joy as they start out in a married life. Some of them make it, but the statistics today are 50% of divorce. Oh, at least, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know whether people's expectations of marriage or partnership are different. And I don't see, uh, I don't know how they work it out the details. Right. All I know is I was very lucky. <laughs> I remember your husband, Ben. Ben was the most marvelous man you could ever meet. He was a lawyer who gave up law to help me. Well, he got tired of it too, but he helped me with the business. And he was so handy that he helped me construct the infrastructure of our cakes. And we would, we would fly them, we would drive them, and eventually, of course, I had people doing this. I ended up with 17 employees, which makes this out of the hobby into a business. Oh, sure. But uh, couldn't have done it without him. You know, when I first started the, in the business about 25, 30 years ago, your name was always famous as the person who invented edible flowers. Yes, yes. Well, you know, 
I have a, an interesting background to begin with. First of all, I met this young man when I was 17. Oh, wait a minute, time out. You were an elementary school teacher in Long Island. I was, so I want to take you through the road. I met this young man when I was 17. I married him at 19. We were married wow. almost 70 years. We've had a, we've had a great life. Uh, ben was a lawyer. I was a school teacher, got a master's in psychology, raised three little girls. Where did you teach? I taught on Long Island. Originally, I taught in Hempstead. And then I taught uh, in Massapequa, where we lived. And then I did some substitute teaching in Levittown. I did that. And then when the kids were out of the house, they were all in colleges or on their own. The five-bedroom house was just too big. We wanted to go back to Manhattan. So this we, is approximately what year? We came back in 1980. At that time, I had breast cancer, and I was in chemotherapy. Oh, wow. So it was an opportunity to look at yourself and look at life and say, who knows what's going to happen next? Let's do something adventurous, something we really want to do. So we came into the city, and Ben was going to become a real estate tycoon, which never happened. <laughs> and I was going to build a cake business, which did happen. One of my first cakes had gone to Donald Bruce White, who was a caterer in New York, off Lexington Avenue in the 60s. He used to entertain the ladies that lunch. And these were oh, the wow. wealthy ladies in New York. And he had a garden in the back. And he would have them for lunch. And one day, my cake was there. And the women were just absolutely floored. So one of them had a party at the Carlisle, and she ordered a cake. And the moment something new hit town, everybody knew about it. Right. So the next customer was Herb Rose at the Pierre Hotel. Wow. And Herb was terrific, but he gave me an opportunity. There was one thing that happened, though. He needed a wedding cake on a Saturday. He called for it on a Thursday, and I told him I couldn't do it. <laughs> and he said... Either you're in business or you're not in business. I'm never going to use you again. Whoa. And so I was out for a year or so until somebody insisted that they have my cake there. And I went to see him, and I said, I will always come through for you. I promise. Okay. Because at that time, I had one or two employees, and I wouldn't, I couldn't. Oh, so there physically could wasn't it. enough time to make. There, there's okay. no time to do that. Right. But I learned a couple of things. One is do what you are comfortable doing. Mm -hmm. Be upfront about what you're doing. Be honest about it. And I was. And I, it turned out many years later that they had, the pier had goofed. They had a wedding, and they forgot to order the cake. And I get a call on Saturday can you get me a cake in three hours? I said, yes, I'm going to give you a Sunday cake, and I'll redo the Sunday cake myself. So I delivered his cake, and I spent the, the next 16, 18 hours creating the cake that was supposed to go out for Sunday's client. So they, they were not disappointed. Wow. So, but that was a, a learning lesson, too. My lesson was to call the hotels and say, is there a cake due this weekend? <laughs> so yeah. that I double-checked them. Right. Because the burden was would have been mine, right. not theirs. Right. So you know there were, you know there were wonderful incidents. There were sad incidents, weddings that were called off. I remember one where the cake was supposed to be delivered on the Saturday. Right. I get a call at two in the afternoon of that Saturday, saying, "Don't deliver the cake. The wedding's off." I said, "What do you mean the wedding's off? The cake is ready to go. Yeah. We deliver it to you at four. He said, "No, you can deliver it. We'll pay for it." 
but the wedding is off. What happened? There was terrible disagreements with the families the night before, which carried over into the morning. Everything was paid for. Wow. So you could take uh, half a million dollars or something and just throw it away? Just, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's better than getting married and coming back and saying divorce. Give me a divorce. And that's happened, too. We've done (laughs) weddings where they went off on a honeymoon, and a month later they're divorced. They went through with it because they didn't want to disappoint the family and friends. Oh, sure. And they liked the theater of it all. And after all, weddings are theater because you have the music and you have the flowers and the the bride comes down in a beautiful white gown. Cinderella. Cinderella. And it's, it's her mother's dream. Many mothers dream of that. And I have to say, Disney cashed in on it. You took, take a look at these little three-year-olds and their tutus. They're getting all ready to be a bride. It's crazy. I know. It's crazy. I know. That's the expectations. Yeah. But in today's world, I've met some fantastic women who are highly educated, highly skilled, have good jobs, and choose not to have a permanent partner. It's a new world out there. Yeah. And we have live-in boyfriends. We have live-out boyfriends. We travel. And nobody's looking askance at anybody. The world has changed. And it's better. I think it's much better. People hopefully will be happier. Well, at least there'll be less divorces. What does that do to the divorce attorney? They're not happy either. (laughs) You were right about the whole trickle-down. That's right. It's a trickle-down economy. There are prenups that people refuse to sign. We'll never quite get prenups. I mean, I totally get it. I know this is not about cakes or about music, but... But the it's idea about life. Of, yeah, about life. But I mean, the idea of saying, okay, I'm rich and you're not, so sign this piece of paper saying you're not going to take money if we get divorced. I know it happens every day, but I, I'm just wondering how that conversation happens. If, if Maybe they blame it on the family or something? Well, yes, you can blame it on family. You usually have somebody else help you do that. But I think... To some extent, depends upon how long you're married. Sometimes these prenups are uh, staggered, so that if you're married 10 years, you get this. If you're married 20 years, you get that. If you're married six months, this is what you get. Because uh, the reality is that our lives are different. Men travel a great deal, so do women. Life has changed. Women have careers. They share the responsibilities of child raising. Right. And sometimes travel distances you, careers can change you. Right. So, so there are legitimate reasons. There are lots of sometimes, reasons why yeah. people dis why yeah. they split up. And sometimes there are things that you don't even know about. And I've seen that in the conference with the family when they come to see about a cake. I had four women come with the bride. One was the birth mother, one was the second, the third, and the fourth was the current wife. And all four women got along so well. It probably happened about 15, 20 years ago, but I'll always remember it. Sometimes you see a bride who's in her 30s. She knows what she wants, and she and her mother knows what the mother wants. And the mother then sometimes uses that little trick by saying, but I'm paying for it. I had one daughter that walked out of the room. She said, I'm not doing this. So it, it could be very stressful. And as you see them at tastings and design sessions, you get a good feeling about what this is, what these relationships will be about. And if, every, if anybody looks at Instagram or on Sylvia's website or has seen her on TV, these are not your everyday cakes. Truly, they're works of art. They are works of art. And I knew that I couldn't do everything myself. Mm-hmm. So I had one young woman who came to me 
and I trained her to make sugar flowers. She was my flower person. Stayed with me for 33 years. So uh, when I said that, that you were famous for the, with edible sugar flowers. Sugar flowers, yes. Botanically correct. How'd you come up with that idea? Uh, I had a friend by the name of William Greenberg who used to put fresh flowers on. And I that used to... sounds very familiar. Mm -hmm. Well, he used to have a bakery in Manhattan. Oh, that's it. Right. And I said to him, why are you using real flowers? Because most of them are sprayed with insecticides when they come in oh, wow. from South America or or at that time, they were growing and they were sprayed Best with insecticides. Sure. And now the flower absorbs that poison, and now you're putting that poison in a cake. So I learned to take a sugar dough with some gelatin and and stabilizers. And I watched the YouTube where you actually made... We made our own dough. Yeah. We made it our own dough. Right. We never bought it. And we could play with it. We could mold it into anything. So I could put... Uh, I could make a cyclamen flower, stick it in the pot, and you wouldn't know which was real and which was fake. And that was the goal. Wow. The goal was to be able to fool the eye. And we were able to do that. But then we, the people wanted sculpted cakes, like it should look like the bride and groom, or it should be an animal. And I didn't necessarily have all that. I, I had the design in my head, but I couldn't execute it. Mm -hmm. But I was lucky. I went to the art schools, and I had, over the years, three or four Pratt graduates that were oh, artists, wow. and they could sculpt. I learned how to divide the business up so that there were the flower makers, they were the artists, they were the baker, the icer, the carpenter. Oh, so this but is it, by the time you had 17 employees? Yeah, this is when I had 17 okay. employees, because yeah. one person can do one cake. You can't really do four, five, six cakes a weekend. Right. And some of these cakes were big. Also, some of them would fly to destinations. So that became another issue. We had a relationship with United Airlines, and they would we would call and say, we have a cake going to, say, the breakers down in Florida. Right. Which flight should we put the cake on? It goes into cargo. And they usually liked the very early morning ones because there was less luggage in cargo. So the cake boxes would be more secure. Yeah. Which meant that I would get up at 5 o'clock in the morning to put ice packs around the boxes. So the driver could pick them up at 6, and they would fly at 7.30. And when they landed, we had somebody on the other end that we had arranged for them to pick it up. Sure. And then it was delivered, say, to the chef in the kitchen. He would open it, and I would get a call saying everything was fine, which meant I could then breathe. The eagle has landed. Yeah, uh, and we truly did not have any problems. The airlines were great. Even when we went to the Middle East, mm -hmm. to three or four countries there with wedding cakes, we always sent on long-distance cakes like that, extra layers, extra cream, and extra flowers in case we need to repair anything. And we hardly ever used anything. Would you go? Or yeah, I went or I sent somebody. It depends. Right. I mean, I sent one of my people to South Africa because that was a long trip and I didn't wow. want to take it. Yeah. So we sent a cake to India without anybody. It was fine. I remember we sent a couple of things to Japan, Mexico, 
around the United States, just about every state. And you send the them in States. layers, right? So you have to have like very detailed instructions on how. Well, they were pretty much put together. You just had to put one on top of the other. Right. And maybe we would send some extra little flowers for you to cover the seam where one cake met another cake. You put it together to cover it up so it looks like one big unit. Also, the fact luck. that it's your name on it, and if someone's paying to have a Sylvia Weinstock cake come from Tribeca to South Africa. Mm-hmm. They want it to look like they, it's something the, the that nobody that else seen could do. At the Pierre or the well, no, it's like something that it's nobody high, else could do. Highly right. personalized. They were two birds that are indigenous to the area, so they sent us pictures of the birds. So we made them in sugar and put them on the cake. They were in the wine business, so we had a lot of grape feeling of grapes and vines on the cake. Uh-huh. So it was very personalized, and I think that's comes out of when we have our design session with the bride and groom or the bride and her family or bride and her girlfriend or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you look at their sense of style, their sense of taste, what they do for a living, or whether they're in something creative or something maybe in sciences or high tech. And it's different mentality, different tastes. You get to ask them questions like, how did you meet? What are your dreams? What do you do? Where did you grow up? And, you know, and there's a bonding session. I've made some great friends in this business. Really? Through, yeah. through, you know, just getting to know them. It's amazing. It's a wonderful world out there. When you were teaching elementary school, mm-hmm. did you ever picture this, that you'd be Sylvia Weinstein? No. <laughs> no. That Mrs. Weinstein was, <laughs> would become no. Sylvia Weinstein? No, I, did, I didn't. As a matter of fact, I think everything just evolved very slowly. We worked hard. I think we were very lucky. And I think we were happy to get what we did. This is my daughter, Janet. Why don't you get it? No, yeah, absolutely. See. Don't worry about it. Is that the daughter that, that Norma was telling me about? No, this is a daughter who lives in the building who helps me with the business, who helped me with everything. But the one that Norma wants you to talk to is Ellen, who does invitations. Oh, right. Okay. And she's uh, the best. That's what Norma said. She yeah. says, you have to see She's her. highly creative, and she's the best. You should get in touch with Ellen and see her. She'd be happy. I, I'd love to. I'll, you Give me your number after I leave. I will give you her number. Yeah, she's good. Oh, we, oh, we were talking about becoming... Who you are. Kind of a celebrity. Well, I don't know. I think, it, you, I think you should take it for granted. It's your two seconds in the sun. Some people yeah, are very impressed with that. 30 years, 40 years in the That's sun. That's okay. We worked hard for it, and we earned it, and I'm very grateful for it. A lot of people helped me do it. Obviously, this is audio, but you're famous for your glasses. Yes. Amazing, oversized, yes. uh, round glasses. Well, I, I saw them. I was, we were in Florida, and I passed a store on Worth Avenue, and I saw these big glasses. I said, Ben, these are terrific. I could use something like this because I was try, struggling with the lenses, and I couldn't do them. I didn't have the patience for it, but the eyeglasses would be something. I saw them. I said, that's for me. So I went into the store. Right. And they gave me the price, and my husband said to me, are you kidding? It's cheaper in New York. It's much cheaper in New York. He said, forget it. So we got home, and I couldn't find them in New York. So I called, called the moment of independence, the moment of independence, I called Florida. I said, send them up. And my husband took a look at these frames, and they didn't have the glasses in it, too. So I then had to go get the, the lenses it fitted. Yeah. By the time I got finished, it was a nice big bill. Yeah. And I said to him, but look. 
look. When glasses like this, I don't need dangling diamond earrings. So consider yourself <laughs> saved a lot of money on this one. <laughs> but I have, these are horn. They are not plastic, and I take very good care of them. And they were very expensive. They were about 1500 with the lenses. You're talking about $2,000. Wow. It's a lot of money. Yeah. However, it is my piece of jewelry. That's it's my jewelry. The, that's the first thing you see. It's part of your face. Now, how long are you married? Uh, 30 years. 30 good years. Yeah, pretty much. excellent years. I hope you don't go to sleep on an argument. Never. Never. That's the house rule. I used to say, Benny, just say you're sorry and let's go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that was the end of what any Anything. kind of disagreement. And there weren't any because we were, we were accommodating each other. And in a sense, you're accommodating yourself. Of it's course. sort of like a boomerang. You make somebody happy, it makes you happy. So when did he become sort of your partner in the business? Or was he just your husband helping you? And then it eventually became, oh... He's really my partner. I couldn't. Well, he was always my partner in whatever we did. Originally, it was... Me and Ben. And eventually, as we got bigger and employed more people, he was able to do less. We had a ski house that he would go ski on the weekend. He would go... He'd play tennis. He liked fishing. He, I mean, he was a sports person and an outdoor person as well. You know, he had the opportunity to do some of the things he wanted to do, which was fine, and I was doing what I wanted to do. And it was a very accommodating relationship yeah. for 70 years. <clears throat> and, you know, when Ben died, it was sad, but he had had a good life. And when people are depressed, I always say to them, look, you're not a Syrian refugee in a camp with no clothes, oh. no food, no heat, no water. Right. What are you complaining about? Make do or change what you're doing. And that's great to be able to say, you know, they led a really good life. He had a very good life. No, no regrets. Right. All when, the way down the line. When did he pass? On Mother's Day, a year and a half. It'll be two years in May. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Sorry to... On mother, a Mother's Day gift. Oh, great. Yeah. Well, he got his wish. He died at home with dignity, uh, with family. And that's, that's, can't ask for much more. Can't ask for more. Yeah. And the same thing with my business. I decided to close it rather than sell it or really? hand it on to employees that I didn't think could handle it. That was my desire. And to keep my name in case I ever wanted to do anything else. Mm -hmm. Because I learned a lesson from other people who made mistakes. And I decided I wasn't going to do that. I wasn't going to give my name to somebody to use. Oh, just sort of like sell it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just they sell do that products. In the fashion industry all right. the time. Right, I know. You, I mean, Calvin Klein has nothing to do with design work anymore. <laughs> I know. All right, but you know, money isn't everything. And a sense of satisfaction because the memory is good. I mean, I've eaten cake from bakeries where the original owner sold his name and the store and the cake is not up to snuff. But we in New York had a couple of very good French bakers. There was Dumas and Bonte. They closed it. They simply closed the shop and retired rather than hand it over to an employee right. or rather than sell it. Who would destroy their name? Who does, in, in the long run, yes, it destroys the name. How much money do you need? How much fame do you need? Mm -hmm. I mean, when you, when you go to bed at night, what do you really have? And I think that's the essence of everything in life, whether it's a party or your good name in a business, mm -hmm. uh, being honorable and decent. 
so that you can walk down the street and people will say, hi, you did my cake. Or <laughs> I run into people. Or, I was in London in, in, a, in a subway somebody came over. Or in an airplane, you did my cake. Oh, wow. Or even in this building that I now live in uh -huh. on Leonard Street, right. there are four grooms here. No kidding. By coincidence? I didn't. I didn't know that. But you, you know, yeah, I was the yeah. name for a long time. Oh, for, yeah, so they married yeah. 15 years or 20 years, and I had done their wedding cake. So there were a few of them here. That's great. It is great. And I, what's great about it is to have a sense of integrity, to be honorable to the ingredients that you use, and it's not just it's not just the money. It's the pleasure and the joy of creating something wonderful and being part of what you hope will be a long lifetime for that couple. Exactly. Or the birthday guy, or, you know... Yeah, the graduation, whoever, or the anniversary. Whatever, whatever yeah. it is, whatever it is. Yeah. Making an automobile with a driver in it, it's his birthday cake. We've done bottles of wine for people who own vineyard, and the labels would have the name of the the uh, vineyard, the date, might even have a picture of the bride and groom on each and bottle. And it's the label, everything's edible. Sugar. Right? Everything's, uh -huh. everything's... You're not talking about smacking a no, paper No, 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 it's all it. made out of sugar. That's it's dried crazy. on a similar-shaped bottle, yeah. painted, and then it's placed on the buttercream cake. Wow. Painted with sugar. Everything is edible. Everything's edible. Wow. We're very, very, very careful about what we would use. Now, we've been asked to use uh, rhinestones and sparkles on cake, but you'd have to sign a paper on that. For, if somebody cracks a tooth on, oh, wow. a, on something that's not edible, I don't want to be legally responsible. Never thought of that. Oh, yeah, well, it's part of it. Because you see some of these cakes that are really spectacular looking, but you can't eat them. They're dummy cakes, in a sense. Right, that's what I'm saying. That's what I always thought, that at least half of those these cakes are dummy cakes, and then the rest, some of it is edible. Not mine. <laughs> if you came to me, you had a cake to eat, because yeah. I believe in food. I believe in good food. And this is a person who's always been thin. Yes, I watch what I eat. You can have a piece of candy, you mm -hmm. can have a piece of cake, but you're not eating the whole cake, and you're not eating triple portions. America has a very sweet tooth. There's nothing wrong with a little piece of cake once in a while, but you have to see people just divide up the whole thing and eat it during the course of a day. They take a snip now and a snip now, right. and they, they've eaten the whole thing. I think we need some personal restraint in everything we do, whether it is a wedding. I mean, I've seen wedding gowns that I can't believe that a bride wants to wear that. It's a see-through thing. Oh, Have I, you seen some of them? Oh, yeah, they look like negligees. Completely form-fitting. And, and you can see lazy. right through them. I know. But, you know, the idea of marriage still exists. And I think every mother who has a daughter wants to see her happy. Mm -hmm. And they think marriage is the answer. Not always, but for some it is. And, you know, it doesn't stop people from their careers or doing what they want. Well, lots of brides that were in medical school or law school and finished and, you know, had careers as well. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, there's, we have a different world today. It's always funny. Whenever I have a client that says, I'm getting married in a year and a half, I'll say, all right, are you in med school or law school? <laughs> well, I, I, don't, I don't understand that because Ben and I were married in school. I was at Hunter College and he was at NYU Law. We went through college together. Mm -hmm. With him studying for the boards and everything? Uh -huh. mm -hmm. 
Right? It's bonding. This is your partnership. Yeah. You share everything. You know, I literally Googled mm-hmm. Sylvia Wysak, the queen of cake. This is uh, just recently from the Times. Sylvia Wysak was first job as a school teacher, has baked wedding cakes for high-profile clients like Mariah Carey and Billy Joel. Oh, and she hates fondant, which we learned in the first minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and she's holding a giant... I'll, p- I'll put this picture in, in Instagram. So you were telling me about this... It was given to me as a, as a gift right. by a woman, also a breast cancer survivor for a period of time. Wow. She's not with us anymore. Muriel Karasik was her name. Mm. Now, Muriel's parents collected little Fabergé eggs, the real ones. The real ones, yeah. They were very wealthy people, and they traveled all over. So they collected this, and at one time, they offered them to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And they wouldn't take it because the museum said, we don't have bric-a-brac. Boy, were they oh, sorry later on. Excuse me. <laughs> were they sorry because as years went by, eventually they did buy them. At about a uh, hundred times the price, right? <laughs> well, you know, Forbes had a big collection of them too. There were a number of people that had some beautiful Fabergé eggs. Yeah. And in my book, Celebration, Celebration Cakes, right, right. there are the pictures of Fabergé eggs that we did in buttercream wow. that went to the Russian embassy in Washington. Holy cow. Yeah, they were beautiful. And some of them were gold leaf and silver leaf. And by the way, that's edible. Those who don't know, describe, like, what is a Fabergé egg? Well, there there was a designer, a French designer by the name of Fabergé, who would design miniature figurines. And he would put them into an enameled gold egg. And you'd open the egg and out would come the horses and the little carriage. Or he painted portraits on porcelain that were incorporated into the egg. They were beautiful, the Fabergé So Fabergé egg is porcelain. Yeah, the whole thing is not edible. It no, is of course, yeah, gold, right. That's what I wanted. gold or silver. And we did, right. the, we did them in cake. Sometimes covered it with 24 karat gold leaf, which is edible, or sterling silver leaf, which is edible. And then we could pipe Lily of the Valley on it, which was one of their favorite flowers, or a design pattern, the royal crest on it, Wow. The eagle that was done that the Russians loved so much at that time, the Tsar. So it was kind of a history. And, you know, we, we did a number of cakes that had specific meaning to the recipient. Right. So that, Which is the most important thing. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it was great to create these wonderful things. And when they were boxed and going out, I would often say to my husband or to even my staff, I hope they can appreciate the kind of artistry and labor that went into this creation. And I think many did because my husband insisted that Picasso signed his name on his paintings. And I have to sign my name on my cakes. So we designed a little Uh, white chocolate disc with my name and the glasses on it. And they went on to every cake that went out of the shop. Oh, that's brilliant. People would collect them. And I had a mother who called me and said that she didn't get hers or it was destroyed or something, but she wanted to save one. So would I get her? So it was chocolate with, with, the, gla- with the big glasses? Yeah, well, yeah it was, and, and it was white chocolate and everything else was dark on it. So you see the glasses and my signature. I love it. They loved it. And yeah, there were some people that wanted the drawings, the original drawings that I did, and did some in watercolor. 
Yeah, that I could do. I could do the flowers. That I could simulate. Mm -hmm. But to do the animal, per se, I I wasn't good at that. So I'd get one of my people to sketch something quickly for me. And then I'd paint it and color it. And it would come out from the Sylvia Weinstock shop. We in this shop did not have egos. I mean, I could get down and pick something up from the floor. I could wash something. I could pitch in. And I didn't want anybody that thought that they were above it all. Every once in a while, you've got one person who said, I don't do that. I said, then you don't belong here because we don't have roles. We pitch in, we're a team. And a team player means we wear many hats. And ego is out the door. You're in the service business. Yeah. You have to decide who you are. We're out to please the client. Mm-hmm. In retrospect, I can remember doing something that I should never have done. She wanted it not to have any decoration on it, just plain shape. Mm-hmm. And I agreed I should never have done that. I should have said it has to have something on it. Because the only one that liked that was the Before. bride. <laughs> one, one, person, one out of one 200, of, yeah, right. I was going to say. So it should, it should, I should, that was a learning lesson. But you learn all the time. When you're doing celebrity parties, is it any different? They come, come, they come, they talk, or you deal with the party planner. Sometimes there is an in-between person who is a great help. Mm. Well, you've got too many elements. Maybe it's the second wedding. Maybe there are children from the first wedding. There are in-laws on both sides. It's a complicated event. The party planet takes that onus off your back so that you get someone like Norma. She'll deal with the florist. She'll deal with the music. She'll deal with the menu. Mm. She'll deal with even helping the bride shop. Sometimes they even go beyond that to help with a honeymoon plan, depending upon where they've been themselves. So, I mean, I think a party planner puts all the pieces together and relieves the family of burdens. So sometimes someone might order a cake from you and they, they don't even necessarily come. They'll tell the party planner what they want. No, they like to come yeah. because coming to, they get to taste it? <laughs> for a tasting to design the interior of the cake, they would come and have, there's a platter that they're presented with, with five or six different kinds of cakes. Right, so this is a this is officially a tasting. A tasting. You're describing describe yeah, a tasting. Every bride is is welcome and invited for a tasting, okay. and the fillings, and she can decide what she likes. If she's having 300 people, she might pick some chocolate and some yellow butter. She might pick some fruit for some, something with nuts or not nuts, depending on allergies and ethnic background as to what they like to eat and what they don't eat. People are very much aware of these dietary needs Mm -hmm. so that they could get gluten-free and even vegan. I gave up kosher. I don't like the materials to work. I really enjoy using really good butter and heavy cream. And that's that's my product, so I made that choice. There are some people that will do gluten as a general thing. They will do kosher cakes as a general thing. Oh, that's their specialty. It's it's a specialty, and you have to be supervised by rabbis, and you have to use materials that are approved by the rabbis. I just, it's not part of my value system, so I decided not to do that. So, I mean, if you really wanted something that was absolutely delicious and beautiful, you came to me. What is the largest cake you've ever made? We've done cakes for over a thousand people. Wow. Meaning it had to literally be big enough to feed a thousand people with easily with easily. seconds. Yeah, right? easily. It would be 10, 15 layers. 
It have to have a very tall room. You have to know where it's going to be. It can't be moved once it's in place. Oh, what kind of table it's going to go on? The table has to be very sturdy because we've learned that lesson. I've seen that once in my life. It was at a country club, and they put this big tiered cake on a bridge table, mm -hmm. and the legs just collapsed. The person who made the cake should be in charge of its product. Right. And I go. always check that. I remember doing one cake that Ben and I were invited to the wedding. It was on um, a Block Island. Block Island, okay. And we put it on the table. Mm -hmm. And we left to get change and come back. And then we got a call that the cake is leaning. We threw on our clothes and ran back. And my husband looked at it and he said, bring me a glass half filled with water. He put it on the table and the glass acted as yeah, a leveler. Yeah. Like he an said, architect. He said, it's not the cake. It's the table. It's the table. So we propped up one leg on the table to make it even. That's level. hysterical. Yeah, but it made us very nervous. I remember doing another cake once. It was very tall, and it was set in the middle of a room. Then they decided they're going to move it into another room, oh. but they didn't fit the doorway. They had to take off two layers, <laughs> was that move it through, and then put the two layers back on. But, you know, we have all these logistics. I make sure there's air conditioning. Right, because like you said a million times, it's real food. It's real it's fruit. Food. It's real It's food. It has, should be at such and We such delivered a, a couple of hours before the event. Oh, okay. So it That's goes not... right on the table. Yeah. Unless we fly, we fly a day in advance. We open those boxes to make sure they're okay, and then that's refrigerated. And then it's put on the table two or three hours before the guests. The cakes are, are really scheduled to be able to sit out from 5 to about 12. They cut generally by midnight. Actually, I'd like them to cut at 10 at night because that's the schedule of eating. If you were making a cake for yourself, if your team was designing your, a birthday cake for you, which I'm sure must have happened, mm -hmm. what would the perfect Sylvia Weinstein well, cake be? Well, I'm not be? a big chocolate eater, but I do, I, I love lemon. Lemon butter cake with a lemon and raspberry filling would suit me perfectly. My husband liked chocolate. Uh, so I'd go for the chocolate. So they do too, one, one for one, one for the other, yeah, yeah. if it's a two-tier cake. So right. everybody's happy. So you never do more than one cake? In other words, you don't have like matching cakes? Oh, we could do that, yes, yeah. we've done that, where you have three or four. And we've also done individual cakes, where each person gets their own little cake on a plate. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's also saying you have a big budget. So how big is each one, literally? Enough for one person, maybe three inches, two and a half inches. It's in my book. You can see pictures of and the major cakes. And the labor that goes into that must be Lots of, because every, all those flowers are scaled down size-wise. You don't put a big flower on a little cake. So you do clusters of little flowers Holy so cow. the cake has a look to it. Sometimes they sent us the fabric on the table course so that we could work with those colors and that scheme. The whole thing comes together as a unit. So you've been interviewed a million times. You've been on a million television shows. What have you never been asked? I think I've always been asked, uh, and I've always been able to answer honestly, yeah. that I'm a breast cancer survivor, and now I am a lung cancer survivor as, oh of, as of almost two years ago, wow. which was found in a just a strange way. And I'm fine. 
and I travel, and I'm full of adventure, and I have a major birthday coming up next month, which is a nice big number, and I can't believe it's me. <laughs> and even when I look in the mirror and I see this lady with white hair... And when I'm talking to you, I... I and I say, I, I can't believe I can't that's believe really that me. Right, exactly. I think my inner version of who I am is probably around 40, 45 a lot of it is attitude. I always say, keep younger friends. Younger right. friends will keep you au courant, they'll keep you up to date. Well, that's another thing about this business, is we're constantly dealing with... Everybody's right. younger than me at this, <laughs> at this point. <laughs> at this point, everybody's younger. It's kind of nice to come in as the grand dame, but uh, they listen to you. Yeah. Better. No, but I mean, if you're dealing with a 25-year-old bride or a 30-year-old hedge fund manager, you're constantly dealing with Oh, I ask them about what people. they do, what yeah. they work with. Do they like their job? Some of them hate them. They're there for the money, and, oh, they, yeah, yeah. and their plan is to get out and do something else, something right. creative. Well, you know, even making money can be creative. Depends upon your attitude and what you do with it. As an educator, I think we need more vocational schools. We can't get a plumber, electrician, a carpenter, an automobile mechanic. There's a wait list at the automobile stores. If you drive and get gas, mm -hmm. every gas station has a convenience store in it. Mm -hmm. It's like a little 7-Eleven. Mm -hmm. They don't have shops with hydraulic lifts that'll fix your car. So it's really only a place to pump gas. Yeah, the skills that brought us to the level we're at, mm -hmm. they're not there anymore. Right. When you go back to a wedding mm -hmm. and you're uniting families together, you're looking at the individuals that are involved in this event. So w what can they contribute to this union? And how wonderful will this young couple make the next generation? See, and that's a beautiful way to think about it. Well, that's, that's what you look at. You're there to witness and to celebrate someone else's A union love. of two. Uh, yeah. This is, this is so. And that's why some of these kids are writing their own... Uh, vows. Their own vows, because right. they want it said the way they want it said. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, th I think we have a very strong sense of uh, unity, in a, in a way, when they come to a wedding. Yeah. People come uh, anticipating pleasure. Right. And it should be. Do you see yourself as an artist, as an artisan, as a craftsperson, as a designer? I think it's a mixture because you come to it with life skills. Right. So you're the psychologist when you meet your clients. <laughs> see, it pays to have that degree. It, it helps. That's number one. Number two, uh, I like good food. To me, the kitchen is the hub of the home. I really feel very strongly about that. I like to entertain. I like to share what I've made with people. So it was sort of an easy step to go into cakes because there are plenty of restaurants, lots of food. But the cake was a unique item. And when you went to a wedding and you saw what was out there was plastic. It yeah. did, didn't say, and it was like a the traditional like a sheet it, cake, right? It was either a sheet or a two-tier cake or yeah. something. Just uh, didn't have any meaning. As a craft person with uh, finger skills, it was an easy transition for me. And it was the item that really got the most hoo-ha at a wedding, the bride and the cake. Edible works of art. Yeah, it was. And that is also interesting, too, that you're, you know that you're making something that's going to be... A forever memory, you know that? That's, it is a forever memory. I was looking for the next words because I was going to say eaten or destroyed or... No, it doesn't you know, matter. 
but they'll always remember. I've met people 25 years later who said, I'll always remember the cake. The marriage is over, but I remember (laughs) the cake. So you were always down here in the I love Tribeca. So you were here before it became before. so chic. I was here when marijuana was growing on the fire escape, and the corner had go-go girls and oh. lap dancing. No. Oh, yes. It was, it was a great, fun neighborhood then. What really gave it a lot of impetus was De Niro when he came down here. Wasn't he raised down here in the village? He comes from, no, Little Italy. Oh, okay. The shops that used to be here are no longer here. Well, the internet has made a big difference in everybody's life. There are some people that still like to feel the fabric and try it on or taste it and see it by themselves. Mm -hmm. But there are plenty of people that will use the internet and they'll buy their food that way, their clothing that way, furniture that way, wines that way. You don't even have to walk out of the house anymore. And the little vendors and the little mom-and-pop stores are gone. Tower Records used to, used to go to Tower Records and not even buy anything. You could just to, browse and listen. Yeah, mm-hmm. you could spend a couple hours in there. Well, J&R was down here. It's gone. Oh, that's right. As an observer of people, yeah. when I see a young family in a restaurant, everybody's on a device. The mother's on her cell phone, the father's on his, the kids are on an iPad playing a game. And that's considered family time. <laughs> They're missing the boat. When you started as opposed to then when you were established, how often did you go to see your cake on display? In the beginning, all the time. Okay. Because you wanted to be hands-on because you wanted to fix oh, any... Well, I didn't have enough staff, and I wanted to make sure it was perfect. Oh, so you really had And to. also, <laughs> I, was, I was building relationships with the oh, people right. in the business. So I got to know Her all, Bruce and, uh, all the waiters. Right. I, as a matter of fact, I had a, a, I was at a luncheon not too long ago at the pier, and all the waiters came over to me because oh, they all knew so us. Well, you know who I love is, is uh, Bill Spinner. Oh, he's a wonderful man. He's a lovely, honorable, decent human being, and he's very good at what he does. Yeah. Sylvia, I cannot thank you enough for this. This has been absolutely charming and wonderful, and I've well, always loved you from afar. Well, and, let's, and let's, let's like, you can love me now and I, not from afar. Exactly. And I, let's I, continue to bring happiness and joy to all the people that we, that we touch in life. That's a beautiful sentiment. Thank you so much. What a truly amazing woman. Thank you so much, Sylvia. Believe it or not, my next guest is Sylvia's daughter. Norma had told me to (laughs) make sure I meet Ellen right after I meet Sylvia, which I have, and I am in the process of editing. So episode 54 is going to be with the equally amazing Ellen Weldon. Stay tuned, and I'll see you next time.